Thank you for tuning into the City Church California podcast. We exist for anyone to believe in God, to become who God created them to be, and to build the church and our city. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so that you can be updated anytime we add new content. Now let's check out the latest message from our Sunday gathering. You know, at City Church, we, we try to be very clear about why we exist. And so what we've, we've, we've come up with a phrase that hopefully you've already heard many, many times, but as a church, we exist for very simply so that people can believe in God, so that we can become like Jesus, and then we can build together. We say that when we say believe in God, believe in become, God. Like Jesus, become like Jesus, and build together. So we, we, this is who we are. This is, this is part of what makes us us. That's what sets us maybe apart from other churches and other organizations. And the way we build together can look like many different things. We build together by investing our time and our resources along with each other. We, we, we build together by investing into our community. We build together by serving on a team. We build together by using our talents and our gifts to serve one another. And these aren't just things we do. This really is who we are. We build together. And and if you serve in any capacity or you've been apart for very long, you would have heard a culture statement like Pastor Jude, Pastor Jude already alluded to uh, that goes like this. We don't have to, we get to. We don't have to, we get to. And certainly that phrase communicates that, uh, you know, we don't, we don't find it a burden to serve and we don't give begrudgingly and we don't, we're not under compulsion to give of ourselves. We actually count it a privilege to be used by God. We can't believe that God would choose to use us in any capacity. So we don't feel like we have to do anything. We recognize that we get to do what God has called us to do. So this is a culture statement, but that's not all that phrase really communicates. The phrase we don't have to, we get to actually is a statement of stewardship. And just to give us a working definition of what the Bible would say stewardship is, it's very simply, stewardship is managing and multiplying whatever God has given you. Let me say that again. Stewardship is managing and multiplying whatever God has given you. And so we're gonna spend the next four weeks speaking about this idea of what has God given me and how can I better manage and multiply that in my life. We recognize that we don't have so that we can just hold, we get so that we can give. We are something, a vessel that God works through. We are called to be stewards, managing and multiplying what God has given us. So you say this with me, say, we get to. We Come on, say that again, say, I get to. I get to. Just to get to know the room a little bit better, I wanna ask the question, anybody here just love receiving gifts? It's like, that's my love language. You, you, you can save the compliments, save the quality time, just send me gifts, you know? It's, I'll be honest with you, I love getting gifts, but I hate the pressure that comes along with gifts every now and then. You know what I'm talking about? Like, this is what I don't like. Hey, I brought you a gift, I get excited. And then they say, would you open it right in front of me? Would you just open it right now? I wanna watch your face as you open this thing. I start freaking out on the inside. I'm like, oh my God, what if I hate it? And then they're gonna know that I hate it. Okay, put on, put on a happy face, put on, a, okay, no, you're overdoing it. Calm it down, just be authentic. Unless you hate it, then don't be authentic. Then fake the excitement. I really, I don't, I start going through this internal pressure when all of a sudden, and I have to open the gift? Or what about when somebody who's given you something sees you a few weeks later and they're like, hey, how's that gift? How it, did, did it fit right? Did you have to exchange it? Are you using it? Did you give it? And I'm like, did I re-gift it? Do I still have it? Oh, I'm, yes, it's working. Am I wearing it right now? You know, like I, all this pressure begins to build. Sometimes they're, they're great, gifts are great, but they create pressure. 
in our lives. And you know, the older you get, it's kind of funny. The gifts you start to get no longer are just to be enjoyed. They kind of create more work for you. You know what I'm talking about? Like, dad, we all pitched in together. Mom said you wanted this. We got you a lawnmower. And I want you to head outside and do some work. You know, thank you very much. I would have loved a big TV, but a lawnmower will work. Yeah, sure. I'll go, yeah, mow my lawn. Or how about this one? Hey, my, this my mother-in-law told us a few years ago. Guys, I know what I want to get you for Christmas. I'm buying you guys a puppy. And my kids are excited. And we're like, what? That's not, that's just more work. That's not even a gift. That comes with all kinds of response. The other, a few years ago, I'm opening up a gift for my wife and it's a small package. I'm like, oh, I know it's an Apple Watch. Oh, I know it's an Apple Watch. And I open up, it was a nose hair trimmer. <laughs> And I thought, I thought, this isn't a conversation we could have in private. You wanted to give this to me in front of our whole family? This is just creating more work for me? Is this, I don't like this gift. <laughs> gifts are great in theory, but gifts oftentimes come along with pressure and they come along with work as a result of it. And that's really the kind of gift that I wanna talk about today is the gifts that are meant to be put to work. And so I wanna title this message, if you're taking notes, You've Got a Gift. Would you say that with me? Say, you've got a gift. Why don't you turn to somebody next to you and say, you've got a gift. Turn to the other person and say, I've got a gift. I wanna read from Matthew chapter 25. And there's a parable that Jesus was teaching his disciples. And it's known as the parable of the talents. And the reason Jesus began to explain this story is they were asking Jesus, Jesus, would you tell us what the kingdom of God is like? And in verse 14, this is what Jesus says again. The kingdom of God, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and he entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and he put his money to work and he gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag of gold, he went off and he dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and he settled accounts with them. And then the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five and he said, master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold and see, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things and now I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things and now I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold, master, he came and he said, master, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. And so I was afraid. And I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. It's kind of took a weird turn, doesn't it? <laughs> so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and you and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him, give it to the one who has 10 bags for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. But whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. You ever heard this story before? Yeah. I always get to the end of this and think, I'm gonna need this one explained to me because there's, there's, there's some interesting stuff in this. 
You know, this story, though it talks about money, is not limited to money at all. This is, a, this is a parable about what we do with what God has entrusted us with. And so once again, would you turn to somebody and say, you've got a gift. So as we're studying stewardship, I wanna pull three stewardship lessons out of this story that Jesus told his disciples. The first lesson is this, that we have all been entrusted with a gift. Now I wanna say that again, you haven't just been given a gift, you have been entrusted with a gift. You have a gift on the inside of you. And you might say, how do you know that, Steve? You've never talked to me. We've never met before. We've never sat across the table from one another. You've never seen me in my, in my place of work. How can you say so confidently that I've got a gift? Because maybe you look in the mirror every now and then and you don't think you have a gift. Well, I'm here to tell you with confidence that you have a gift. Why? Because God entrusts everyone with a gift. And we notice this in the scripture because those three servants, they represent all different kinds of people from different places and different spaces with different levels of experience, different abilities, different skills, different calls. But one thing is in common, they were all God's servants and God gave every one of them part of his wealth. God gives all of his people a gift from him. And you know, the master, even though he didn't give them the same amount of gift, there was something in common. They all came from him. Him. And so the question that we need to begin to ask ourselves is, what has God entrusted me with? Would you consider that just for a moment? What is it that God has entrusted me with in my life? Maybe you have a particular set of skills like Liam Neeson. Maybe you are creative. Maybe you have a, 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 an ability to create wealth. Maybe you have entrepreneurial ideas. Maybe you're compassionate. Maybe, maybe you're creative in the way you think, in the way you see the world. Maybe you're a great listener. Maybe you come from a family trade and what you guys do, you do it better than nobody else. Maybe you have a lot of unique experiences and that causes you to be able to connect with a bunch of different types of people. I don't know what's unique about you. All I know is that you've got a gift and God has entrusted you with it. And it might even surprise you to hear me say that you've got a gift today because maybe no one's ever told you that you're gifted. Maybe in fact, it's been the opposite. Maybe there were things in your life that you thought you were good at and people told you that you were not good at and it's caused you to go, well, then what is my gift and what's my purpose? And, and I'm just here to encourage you. It doesn't matter what people have or haven't said about your gift because they didn't give you the gift anyways, God did. And you'll notice that the master did not consult the friends and the family members of his servants before he said, he didn't say, I wanna give the servant five bags of gold. Do you think that's a wise investment for your son? He didn't consult anybody, why? Because the master knows that his servants belong to him and it's his decision what he entrusts to his servants. And I think, I think sometimes we put too much weight and too much authority in what people haven't and haven't said about us. When God didn't entrust them with your gift, he entrusted you with your gift, which is why we need to know who the master is and lean into that. And so, yeah, sometimes people talk negatively about us and sometimes people cause us to doubt ourselves. But you know, I think the person that is most guilty of downplaying and looking down on our gift is ourselves because we know ourselves better than other people know us. We've known ourselves longer than other people know us. We see ourselves in our, in our, in our inopportune moments and, and we look at other people and it seems like they're doing so great and we always judge ourselves harshly when we compare ourselves against other people. We look at, oh, they're so great, they have so much influence, they have so much money, so much accomplishment, and look what I have. I mean, it's easy for me to turn on the NBA and go, well, I'm not 6'8", I'm not 240, I can't go into the NBA and I'm mad with God about that. <laughs> because my heart is an NBA player, but my body is an accountant. <laughs> and I'm not even good with numbers. 
sometimes we get irritated with God and we judge ourselves and we're like, well, because I'm not like that, then I'm not good. And we, and we judge ourselves harshly and well, I don't have this much. Can I tell you? We judge ourselves because we're not looking at ourselves through the way our master sees us. We're looking at ourselves through the way that we have seen us. And we need to lean into this. But this is what I want you to know. Yes, God gives every person different amounts of skills and different, we don't know why God chooses that, but not everybody starts in the same place. Not everybody has the same skill set. Not everybody is the same height. Not everyone has the same looks, whatever. But one thing we can see in this story that should encourage us. He gave one five bags of gold, one two bags of gold, and one one bag of gold. What's the common denominator? It was all gold. The gift on the inside of you, God considers to be his wealth. What did the first verse say? The master called his servants to him and he distributed, he entrusted his wealth to them. And so listen to me here. Whatever that gifting is on the inside of you, it's not just a gift. God considers that to be his great wealth and he has put it on the inside of you. And so when we look in the mirror and we judge ourselves harshly and we speak down and look negatively upon the things that God would say he's given you, we are actually devaluing in our own eyes what heaven would say is wealth in our lives. And so it's time to be secure in who we are, believe that God has put something of value on the inside of you, and now he is calling you and I to steward that thing. So again, back to that question, what has God entrusted you with. Maybe you say, I just don't know. I've kind of been spinning my wheels. I've been searching my whole life. I don't know what I'm good at. If you have not done this yet, I would encourage you, go to our grow class. Because when you go through our grow class, we have a spiritual gifts test and a personality test that we, that we help you take to help identify some of these things that are naturally gifts inside of you. But just for today, I would ask you a couple questions. What are you good at? What comes naturally to you? And this isn't something that you have to be an expert in, but when you give your time and energy to something, what seems to increase in your life? What seems to multiply when you give yourself to it? Because you don't need to be an expert today. You just need to know where do I steward my time and my energy and resources into? And when you begin to get a knack for what it is that you're good at, that gives you a good direction on how to steward in your future. But I'm gonna ask you an even more important question. What do you have in your life right now? What do you have in your hand right now? What kind of job do you have right now? What kind of relationships do you have right now? What kind of education do you have right now? Now, it might not be the job you have forever. It might not be the relationships you have forever. It might not be the level of education you have forever. But I can promise you whatever you have right now is what God has entrusted to you, what he considers his wealth. Now it's our job to do something with it. You might not have this job forever, but if you're in this job now, God is calling you to steward it, to manage it, to multiply it, and to do it well. You better not wait for another job to start stewarding because you will be in this job forever. God is calling you to say, what do you have now? That's what you are called to steward. I would say this, what friends do you have right now? What relationships do you have right now? Steward those things, manage those things, invest into those things. What church are you a part of right now? Listen, you might not be a part of City Church forever, but if you're here right now, God has entrusted this church to you so that you can manage and multiply and sow and steward your gifts in it. What do you have right now? 
And I know this isn't a real exciting message because everyone wants to talk about what I'm going to have tomorrow. But you don't get to step into what you can have tomorrow until you do something with what you have today. So what has God entrusted you with? And then comes the question, why did he entrust me with it? Why do I have this job? So that you can steward it, so that you can manage it, so that you can multiply it, so that you can make it what God has called you to do. Because stewarding is managing and multiplying whatever God has given you. This might sound crazy to you, but I promise you this, if God has entrusted you with it, it's because it's meant to grow and to increase. It's meant to do that. Your, your gift was designed to increase and it's not gonna increase because we pray that it will. And it's not gonna increase because it's blessed. Our gifts and our callings and our, God's wealth in our life only multiplies when we steward it. It's God's expectation of us. How do I know? I'll take you all the way back to the very first thing that God ever said to mankind. Genesis chapter one, God created the heavens and the earth and he filled it with the sea and with the land and with plants and with animals with a man and a woman. And then in verse 28, he said this, God blessed them. He said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Man, what a blessing. God, he, you gave me a blessing. What was a blessing? A job. What was the blessing? An opportunity. What was the blessing? A responsibility. What was the blessing? An opportunity to steward what God had put there. He said, fill the earth and govern it. Be fruitful and be multipliers of what I have given you. I want you to walk away with at least just this one statement in your mind today. You ready for this? What we do with what God has given us matters to God. Let me say that again. What we do with what God has given us matters to God. What I do with the time that God has given me matters to God. What I do with the energy that God has given me matters to God. What I do with the relationships God has given me matters to God. What I do with the dreams that God has given me matters to God. What I do with the church that God has given me matters to God. What I do with the relationships that God has given me matters to God. What I do with the breath in my lungs matters to God. Because when God gives us something, his expectation is that we would manage it and multiply it and return it to him in a better and in a bigger state than he gave it to us. It all matters to God. It all matters to God. Sometimes you look at these little things in our lives and you go, well, this doesn't really matter. No, if God has entrusted you with it, it matters to him what you do with it. I hear Christians say some of the dumbest things sometimes. Why are we worried about the earth? We're coming back. Jesus is coming back for us and, and we're, he's gonna give us new heavens and a new earth. Who cares about this one? God does because he gave it to you. People, Christians will say, well, can't we just let the world be the world? The world's always gonna be the world. Let's just be the church. God's not coming back for the world. He's coming back for the church. No, God so loved the world that he sent his son into the world, that he planted his church in the world, that his church would expand and take over the world and expand the kingdom of God. We're not here just to let the world be the world. We're here to steward what God has given us and take over the world. I hear Christians say, can't the church just stay out of the government? Can't the church just stay out of the school system? Can't the church just stay out of the arts and entertainment? Why can't we just make our own Christian bands? Why can't we just make our own Christian organizations? No, because we're called to take over every organization. 
What we do with what God has given us matters. What has God given? Has he given you a job? Has he given you a vote? Has he given you an opportunity? Has he given you some breath in your lungs? Has he given you a church to come into? Has he given you friends to love? Has he given you people to serve? What we do with every moment of every day is a gift from God and it matters to him. It matters to him. We are stewards. And it's not, what's inappropriate, what's unbelievable, what's an abomination is when God has entrusted us with something and we hide it away and we stick it away and we sit on it and we use it for selfish purposes. No, no, no. How do I know if I'm being a good steward? Am I using what God gave me? And am I using it for his purpose? Is what I am doing growing and increasing and becoming more? Because if not, then I'm not stewarding well what God has given me. And I need to look inward to say, God, what do you want me to do differently with what you have given me? Somebody say amen. Amen. So God has entrusted everyone with a gift for the purpose of stewarding, managing and multiplying what he has given us. The second lesson I want to pull out is this, that God rewards good fruit and he rejects bad fruit. Good fruit is rewarded, bad fruit is rejected. Look at this in Matthew 25. The man who had received five bags of gold, he brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things and now I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in the master's happiness. I want you to notice that though the servant came back with an increased amount of what the master had given him, he wasn't rewarded because of the increase. He was rewarded because he was faithful with what he was given. It's important to notice that we really aren't that responsible for the increase in our life. We are responsible for the faithfulness. What did Paul say? He said, hey, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. He said in 2 Corinthians, he says, God supplies seed to the sower. And when we sow what he has provided to us, God brings the increase. Our responsibility isn't the increase. Our responsibility is our faithfulness. But when we are faithful, God does bring the increase. So when there's not increase, it's normally an indication that there's a breakdown in your faithfulness. And so what the master said, he goes, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. Now I'm going to trust you with a lot of things. That word faithful is the word, it's the Greek word pistos. And what it means is trustworthy in the execution of demand. So listen to this. When the master says, well done, good and faithful servant, he was saying, I entrusted my wealth to you and you have proven worthy of the trust that I put in you. I now see that you are worthy of the trust I have given you. Therefore, now I will trust you with more because you have been proven faithful, pistos, trustworthy, worthy of the trust that I have given you. But I love this too. It means the execution of demand. What does that mean? That means if God has entrusted a gift inside of you, it's because there is a demand on that gift in the world. There is a demand on that gift in the church. We don't get to sit back and say, well, my gift isn't good. No, if God put a gift in you, there's a demand for that gift in the world. Can I tell you right now, I'm looking for a house and there's a lot of people looking for houses. There's a demand for a house. Can I tell you, the world is demanding that the church stand up and be what the church is called to be. There is a demand on your gift. Well, nobody needs my gift. I don't have a good gift. You wouldn't have that gift if there wasn't a demand for that gift. 
And when we are faithful stewards, we will have executed on the demand of your gift. And I'll tell you, this church has a demand for your gift. This church needs your gift. This church needs your wealth. And if you want to be a faithful steward, get in the game and begin to execute on the demand of your gift. Someone say, amen. Well, I plan to use my gift. I plan to use it. I'm going to do it. You know, he didn't say, well thought, good and faithful servant. He didn't say, well intended, good and faithful servant. Hey, great plans, good and faithful servant. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. Because the faithfulness is proved in the doing of God's word, not in the hearing of God's word, not in the planning of God's word, not in the thinking of God's word. God judges stewardship, not on our good ideas, not the things that we're gonna do someday, but on what we were faithful and consistent to do with what he put in your life. Well done, good and faithful faithful servant. So what do you need to do? Has he entrusted you with finances? Has he entrusted you with a marriage? Has he entrusted you with children? Has he entrusted you with a church? Has he entrusted you with a gift? Because whatever it is, I don't want to keep talking about it. I want to start doing it so he can say, you've been a faithful servant. Well done. And can I tell you, God loves to reward good stewards. Oh, he loves to reward it. He's not sitting back hoping that and trying to catch you in a failure. No, he's rooting for you. He loves to reward good stewards. What did he say? Because you have been faithful, I'm going to entrust you with more. What's that? Oh, that's a bigger bigger job. (laughs) That's more responsibility. But you know what the better reward was? He said, come and share in your master's happiness. Come and share in the joy that I feel. The greater reward isn't a bigger job. It's sharing in the happiness and the fulfillment that God feels when we are faithful. You know, you can have all the money, all the wealth, all the accolades, all the accomplishment, all the affluence, all the influence, and still be unfulfilled on the inside. Nothing will ever compare to feeling the fulfillment and the joy and the happiness that can only come by stewarding well what God has put in you. Someone say, amen. Amen. So he's entrusted us and we wanna be faithful with it because God rewards good fruit, but he also rejects bad fruit. I want you to see this in Matthew 25, starting in verse 24. It says, the man who had received one bag of gold came. He said, master, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So now take this bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. So the servant comes and say, master, the reason I I didn't steward well was because I was afraid to fail. I was scared that I that I wouldn't do what was right. Anybody ever been afraid to fail? I have, man, there's been many times I've sat back and not stepped into something because I was, I was afraid to fail. He was afraid to fail. I've been afraid to fail. Maybe you have been too. But the master says, that's not the reason you didn't steward well. If you were really afraid, you would have put my money in the bank, not on the ground. Because the way you see me indicates that I would be angry with you. And so you would have at least put it in, in the bank. So you weren't afraid to fail. You're a lazy servant. That's why you didn't steward because you're lazy. Can I tell you, God is not afraid, or God does not reject our, 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 our failure to try. God rejects our failure to act. Okay? He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't reject our, our failure, never. He's calling us to go forward. But whether it be a fear of failure, or whether it be 
laziness, whatever the excuse of the servant was, we all have excuses too, don't we? God, I'd do it, but I just don't have, when I have more time, then I'll do it. God, if I had as much as them, then I'd do it. God, if I was as talented as them, then I'd do it. God, if I have, when I have more, then I'll do it. Whatever our excuses are, and there are many of them, you know the primary reason we don't steward isn't any of those excuses. It's because we have a wrong perception of God. We have a wrong perception of God because faithfulness, fear, laziness, all of those things are just fruit. Faithfulness is fruit of a good perception of God. Laziness is a bad fruit that comes from a bad perception of God. I want to show you the perception of, of the lazy man. This is what it says in verse 24. Then the man who had received one bag of gold, he came to the master and he says, you know, I knew you to be a hard man. Is that who our master is? I knew you to be somebody who harvested where you have not sown and you gather where you have not scattered seed. And so here's my excuse. I was afraid. He says, I knew you to be a hard man. That word no doesn't mean like a definitively no. It means I have experienced you. I think that you are. My perception of you is that you are a hard man. My perception of you is that you harvest where you have not sown, that you gather where you have not scattered seed. My perception of you is that God, that you are harsh, that you are unjust. Can I tell you, there's a lot of people that think that about God, but it's not true about God. God is not a harsh God. He is a good God. God is not necessarily fair, but he is just in all of his ways. God is generous. God is merciful. God is compassionate. He is not a hard God. And then he says, I see you to be somebody who, who harvests where you have not sown, who gathers where you have not, what was he saying? God, I see you as a cheater. God, I see you as a thief. I see you as somebody who takes from people, not people, not one who gives to people. You know, the people who multiplied their stuff, they had good perceptions of God. What do they say? Master, I saw that you entrusted to me your wealth. Therefore, you sowed into me. You stewarded into me. And because you sowed into me, I will now sow what you gave me. But the one who had the wrong perception of God, he says, I see you as a thief and I see you as a cheater. And because I think that, that's why I stole from you. That's why I didn't do what, what you gave to me. That's my perception of you. And so therefore, that's what I did. God is not a harsh God. He is gracious. He is compassionate. He is generous. It's his kindness that leads people to repentance. God is not a thief. God is not a liar. God is not a robber. He is a giver. He is a generous God. He is gracious in all of his ways. And he is a steward. And God is the greatest sower of all time. He sowed his words into creation. He sowed his breath into our bodies. He sowed Jesus into the brokenness of the world. And he sowed his spirit into the church. He is the greatest sower of all time. He leads by example. What a man reaps, he, he, what he sows, he will reap. And God leads in that way. He is not a harsh master. He is not a thief. And when we see him as a good God, and when we see him as a good sower, come on, when you see God as a sower, you will sow your life into him. When you see God as a thief, you will hold it back. But God is who he says that he is. And we lean into that and we sow our lives because he sowed his life into us. The greatest way to manage and multiply your gift is to sow it into the kingdom of God. And that is how we steward well what God has given us. I want to invite the band to come on stage and we're gonna bring this to a close this morning. God has entrusted you with a gift so that you can be a good steward of it. He rejects bad fruit and he rewards good fruit. And the final lesson that I wanna draw from this morning is this, number three. God is returning to see what we have done with his gifts. It's a sobering scripture. 
but we should be sobered up every now and then, amen? Amen. God is returning to see what we have done with his wealth. This is what it said in verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and he settled accounts with them. The New Living says it like this. He called them to give an account of how they had used his wealth. You know, at some point, every one of us, we will stand before the Lord and he will see what we have done with what he entrusted us with. And I know that this is, this is kind of like a sobering thought. You know, you're all excited. You're like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Whether we're here for the return of Christ or whether we pass into eternity, either way, we're all going to stand before the Lord. And for the believers, he's not going to judge our sin because he will have already judged Jesus for believers. But he will judge our stewardship. He will come to see what have we done with what he, what, what did you do? with the 85 years that I entrusted you with? What did you do with that, with that unbelievable, unique ability to see problems and solutions? And did you use that for my kingdom? What did you do with that compassionate heart that I gave you? Did you hold it to yourself or did you give it away? What did you do? Wisdom would tell us to consider these questions here and now. Will I have something to offer the Lord that's bigger than what he gave me when we started? Or will I say, I saw you wrong. I thought you were something that you're not. And so I I didn't do anything with it. You know, it's moments like these that I consider to be gifts when God challenges our perception with his word so that we might be changed and transformed by his living word. So he's he's gonna come to see what we did with his gifts. What, he, what we did with the wealth he entrusted to us. But you know what? Though we want the reward of sharing in the master's happiness and his fulfillment as a result of stewarding our gifts well, we can never actually step into that joy and that happiness and that fulfillment just by stewarding well our natural gifts. We have to first receive the most important gift that God ever gave to us in his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, while we were still broken, while we were still hopeless, while we still had not yet turned to God at all, that he sowed his son into creation. He sent his son Jesus to die for a world that would crucify him. So that if we would turn to him and just simply receive by faith the gift of salvation that we would be saved. And so while we will stand before God one day and give account for what we did with the gift and the skills and the minds that he gave us, the first thing that he's gonna ask us is what did you do with the gift of salvation? Did you hear about it one day and then reject it? Did you hear about it and go, well, I'll just do that another day? Or did you accept it and did you receive it? What will be the result of that? You know, the last scripture in the parable really brings it all together. Verse 29 says, for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. What's that mean? It means whoever receives the gift of salvation, they will have an abundant life. More will be poured out. But anybody who does not have that gift, who has not received it, who has not accepted it, who has not yielded to it, someday even your very life will be taken from you. 
And so this morning, if you're here and you've never received the free gift of salvation, you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, you've never made that decision to say, God, I really do want you to be the Lord of my life. The Bible tells us that that can change in a moment. It changes in an instant when we change our hearts. And maybe you're feeling drawn to that right now. Like I can promise you, it's not because I just preached a good message. And I can promise you, it's not because I've convinced you. The Bible says we cannot be saved lest the Holy Spirit draws us. And if you're feeling a sense of urgency, if you're feeling a sense of I need to yield, it's I have not talked you into anything. The Holy Spirit himself is nudging you and pulling you and pushing you and saying, now is the time to give your life and surrender to Christ. And again, I don't know what the reason is that you have not yielded to Jesus yet. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard this message. And for that, I'm so excited because this is your moment. Or maybe you've never made this decision because you realize, dang, I've thought wrong about God my whole life. Maybe it's because you've experienced pain or discomfort and you thought that that was God who was doing that to you. It wasn't. Maybe somebody told you something about God that was, that was negative and hurtful and therefore you've kind of kept him at arm's distance. Can I tell you that's not who God is? I want you to trust me just for a moment. God is a good God. He's a good father. He does not lie. In fact, he cannot lie. He cannot be compared to any earthly person. And if he could tell you one thing today, it would be that he loves you and that he desires that you would receive his free gift of salvation to you. And Romans 10 says, all we need to do is confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. And in that moment, it is a mystery, but our souls, our spirits are saved for eternity in that moment. So right now with every head bowed and every eye closed, and for you who is uh, attending with us online, I'm gonna give you a chance when I count to three to lift your hand. And when you lift your hand, nothing, nothing, nothing magical is happening about lifting your hand, but what you are doing doing as identifying Jesus, this is my decision to follow you finally and totally. So when I get to three, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand or if you're online to click that link that's in the, in, in, in the chat. So right now you say, I feel Jesus calling me. I've decided that what I want to do is I want to follow you, Jesus. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand in just a moment when I get to three. Two, you say, now is my time. I don't want to go another day walking in my own strength and my own power. I want the gift of salvation. Three, if that's you, lift your hand high and say, that's me. I want to follow Jesus. Amen. I see that. Amen. Come on. Is there anybody else? Yes. Amen. Right there. Come on. Let's begin to shout and celebrate. I see it in the back. Amen. Come on right now. I want you to stand to your feet. Let's have everybody stand to your feet this morning. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And just like Romans 10, 10 9 and 10. It says that those who confess with their mouth and believe in their heart, that they are saved. So right now, church family, let's sing this together. Let's say this together. Say, Jesus, I hear you calling me. I don't want to live alone anymore. I want the gift of salvation. So I believe you're the son of God, that you came to earth, that you lived a life for me, that you died for me, that you rose again for me, and that you have forgiven me. And now I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, let's celebrate those who made a decision to follow Jesus. Now, in just a minute, we're, we're, about to, we're about to worship for another moment, and then we're gonna release you. But maybe you're in here this morning, and you say, you know, I feel like God has gotten a hold of my heart, and I'm challenged. 
I want to be a better steward of what he's given me. I don't want to hold anything back anymore. I recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from above. I haven't earned anything in my own strength. Everything has been a gift for him. And because he's entrusted it to me, I want to manage it and multiply it for him. And if that's you, I'm going to, I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. But don't wait another day. There's no good time to start stewarding better than right now. This is your moment. And maybe you say, I don't know where to start. Start in the house of God. Start serving one another. Join a team. Attend a broke class. Get in a city group. Begin tithing. Begin giving. Come on, let's be good stewards of what God has entrusted to us. Amen. Amen. So would you just lift your hands right now? I'm going to pray for you. And then we're going to begin to worship. Lord, I just thank you that you have gotten our attention today. We recognize that you have called us out, not to guilt us, not to shame us, not to make us feel bad about ourselves, but so that we can change direction, so that we can begin stewarding all that you've entrusted us with. God, we want to be faithful stewards. We want to be found trustworthy. We recognize that you have given us something that this church and this world needs. And so God, we yield to that right now in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, Let's begin to worship. We so appreciate you spending time with us. If you'd like to invest into what God is doing through City Church California, you can go to our website, citychurchca.com, and click Give. Thanks again, and we hope to see you at one of our campuses this Sunday.